Uh, the reading is from Matthew, it's chapter 13, and it starts at verse 24, the parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about six pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using the parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Lord, we thank you for your words. Thank you for Helen and Keith reading that to us. Would that word take root in our hearts? Have we thought about recently the different types of soil, the different conditions of our heart that word can land on? Lord, would your spirit give us good hearts, that that word is received and produces a harvest. And we pray particularly for Jim as he opens that word to us and with your guidance explains it to us more fully. Would we have good hearts for that too? Would we hear your words? Would we love it? Would we welcome it? Would it change us? And Lord, would we obey it? So use Jim now powerfully uh, by your spirit to open our eyes to your truth and to let your truth work in us for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, um, do uh, have a Bible open in front of you, either physically or electronically. And those verses that Keith and Helen read to us uh, from Matthew uh, chapter 13. That way you'll be able to follow through what I'm saying 
and see this coming from the passage that I'm not making this up. Uh, that'd be really helpful for me and I'm sure helpful for you as well. Uh, I've just finished this morning uh, rereading The Lord of the Rings, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's epic story about the hobbits Frodo and Sam and their quest to destroy the one ring of power that belongs to the Dark Lord Sauron. Seems like the kind of thing I should do on furlough, really. Uh, if those names mean nothing to you, though, uh, don't worry. Uh, it's never too late to start reading the 1,000-page book. Or you can always watch the films on Netflix. You just need a spare 12 hours. Still better watching that than Tiger King, if you ask me. But anyway, if you don't have time, we're going to watch now, just for two or three minutes, one of the most beautiful and moving scenes in all the trilogy. Wayne's going to play the video in a moment. It's a poignant moment where Frodo got themselves into and how on earth they can see their quest through to the end. Uh, that's one of a, a really moving scene, isn't it? Um, Sam, the hobbit there, speaks about the great stories that really mattered. And he says that those stories contained moments of joy and fear, courage and uncertainty. Things didn't always look like they were going well. And although in those stories people had lots of chances to turn back, they kept going because they were holding on to something that was worth fighting for. Now, I think that sounds a, a lot like being a Christian to me. We're caught up in God's great story, the story that really matters. God's true and beautiful and authoritative story where he's putting right this broken world. And as Christians, we're on his side. We're in his kingdom. We're right with him. But that's not the end of the story. There are moments of joy and fear along the way, courage and uncertainty. Things don't always look like they're going well. And if we're not to turn back but keep going, we need to know that there is something worth fighting for. That's really what Jesus is giving us in these parables that we read in Matthew chapter 13. See, these parables show us the end of the story so that they help us if we feel like giving up. They help us remember what is worth fighting for so we don't turn back. They help us have right expectations about what it's like to live in God's true story. And I think that's really important. You see, if we have wrong expectations about following King Jesus, or about life in his kingdom, then we might be disappointed or discouraged or downhearted when those expectations aren't met. We might think that Jesus has let us down or that something has gone wrong. Maybe some of us here this afternoon are prone to what we could call overly optimistic expectations. Maybe we think that the Christian life is easy or comfortable, or uninterrupted peacefulness. Maybe we think that the gospel message about Jesus will be universally popular. 
Or maybe we think that Jesus will deal with all opposition and save us from trouble and pain now when we want it. Maybe others of us, though, here this afternoon will be prone to the other extreme, uh, overly pessimistic expectations. We might think and have little ambition that God will be at work in us and through us. Or we might have little hope that the gospel, the message about Jesus, will make much impact on our family, on our town, or on our nation. We might have little expectation of how the kingdom of God will touch the lives of others around us. And both of those extremes are unhelpful. And that is why we need today these parables of Jesus. They describe life in his kingdom to help us have realistic expectations so that we keep going and don't give up. That's, that's what Jesus says the parables are about. Look at verse 24. Jesus says this parable is about something to do with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. He says that again in verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like. And again in verse 34. The kingdom of heaven is like. So, so Jesus is teaching us about his kingdom, about life in his kingdom. And Jesus has two big lessons for us this afternoon. Two big lessons about his kingdom that can help us have realistic expectations to keep going on the adventure of faith. Two lessons that can help us make sense of what it's often like being a Christian. Two lessons that help us make sense of how Jesus is responded to then and today. And friends, if we grasp these lessons, we will avoid either naive optimism or paralyzing pessimism. Instead, we'll know we have something worth fighting. We'll keep going. We won't turn back. The first lesson Jesus has for us from these parables about his kingdom is that the kingdom will triumph at the end. The kingdom will triumph at the end. That's the point of the parable about the weeds uh, and the wheat. You see, Jesus wants to assure us that the kingdom will triumph at the end, on his timetable, at the end of all things, rather than when we might want it to happen before then. I think that's the point of the parable of the weeds and the wheat. So let's work it through. It's a parable, verses uh, 24 through to 30, about a man who sowed good seed in his field. He sows a healthy crop of wheat. But then in a story, an enemy comes and sows weeds among the good crop so that both the wheat and the weeds end up entangled, growing up together. It's kind of like an act of industrial espionage. It's kind of like what happened in 1989 in the United Kingdom when Heinz, the company, had to withdraw loads of jars of baby food because someone had contaminated batches with shards of glass. Well, in Jesus's story, the crops, the weeds and the wheat can't be distinguished as they're growing initially. You can't tell them apart until it's too late and the roots have all got entangled. But eventually what has happened becomes clear and the servants of the field owner go and ask him if they should pull up the weeds 
and just leave the wheat behind. But the owner delays the separations in case these servants accidentally pull up the wheat with the weeds. Sounds like my approach uh, to gardening and weeding, which often involve me pulling up anything that's green and growing, uh, much to the horror of my uh, wife Eve, who then has to re replant these poor battered uh, and bruised begonias and geraniums. Well, in this field, both the weeds and the wheat grow up together until harvest. And then the harvesters come and they do separate. They pull up the weeds and they burn them and they bring the wheat safely into the barn. Great story, but what does it mean? Well, hopefully Jesus tells us, look at verse 37. He gives us the explanation, verse 37. The one who sowed this good seed is the son of man, Jesus says. That's his way of speaking about himself. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will be thrown into the blazing fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You see, the parable is telling us that the kingdom will triumph at the end. You see, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is sown in the field of the world. The kingdom is sown as Jesus sows the seed, the good news, the word of the kingdom, the gospel in his ministry. The kingdom is sown as Jesus establishes the kingdom through his life and his death and his resurrection. Jesus sows the seeds of the kingdom. And the people of the kingdom, his subjects, are those who hear the gospel and gladly submit to Jesus as their king. They bow before Jesus as Messiah and Lord, and they accept his sacrificial death and resurrection for them. That's our position if we're Christians here today. We're subjects in Jesus' kingdom. We're the good seed that he is sowing. We surrender to his rule. We know that he is exalted the centre of all reality. We're in his kingdom. But, but almost at once, the devil also works. And he sows his weeds in the same field in this world in which the kingdom of heaven is also growing. So people who have no time for Jesus live alongside people who know that Jesus is the most important person in the world. That's our experience, isn't it? That's the lived reality we encounter in our schools or in our offices or among our families, isn't it? We grow up alongside those who have no time for Jesus and wouldn't ever call themselves Christians. And although there is an absolute distinction between weeds and wheat, 
they grow up alongside each other. The angelic separation between weeds and wheat only takes place at the end of the age. It is then that the final definitive division will occur between the people of the kingdom and the people of the evil one. It is then that the people of the evil one will be thrown into the blazing fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is then that the people of the kingdom, the righteous Christians, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You see, the kingdom will triumph at the end. Friends, let's be encouraged. The kingdom will triumph. One day, King Jesus will come. And his kingdom will fully and finally be established. He will return in glory. And on that day, his angels will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. On that day, those who do not know and trust Jesus will be cast out. And they will experience weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is no doubt about this. There is a date set when judgment will be enacted, when Jesus will come and he will defeat his enemies and consign them to eternal punishment. The parable speaks so clearly about these things, doesn't it? See, a great day is coming, a final day is coming when this age will be brought to a climactic end. There is an end to the story in which we're currently living. And that ending is Jesus wins. His kingdom will triumph. At the end, Jesus' kingdom will be disclosed in glory. It will be fully and finally and forever established. The kingdom will triumph. So we need to be ready for that day. And we need to make sure we're part of that kingdom now. We need to submit to King Jesus, to accept his gracious rule over our lives, to submit ourselves into his loving hands as the only one who can restore us to God and bring us safely through the judgment that is to come. It would be madness to miss out on eternal joy, wouldn't it? And to face eternal punishment instead. No wonder verse 33 urges us, whoever has ears, let them hear. So my friends this afternoon, please hear the words of Jesus today. See that the kingdom will triumph and align your life now with that truth. Cry out to King Jesus for grace and mercy and entry into his kingdom, and you will surely find them. What is stopping you entering Jesus' kingdom today? See, the kingdom will triumph. Be encouraged. But friends, let's also, the kingdom will triumph at the end. And that means we need to persevere 
with following Jesus to the end of our adventure. See, although Jesus' kingdom has come as Jesus ministers and speaks and preaches and does miracles and dies and rises again, the kingdom hasn't yet fully come. That reality is still future. We still live in a broken world. We still suffer. We still experience evil and injustice and exploitation and discrimination and greed and wickedness. We don't yet see this world transformed in the ways that it will be when the kingdom comes. We sin. We get ill. We die. And we might wish that Jesus would get his skates on and bring in the fullness of the kingdom now. Maybe we sense that, particularly if we're suffering in some way or experiencing in our lives the raw reality of life in a broken world. We're seeing evil up close and personal. And if that is you this afternoon, I don't want to make light of that. I want to assure you, Jesus cares about your pain and suffering. He will one day set things right. He will see that justice is done. He, he will one day fully bring his kingdom in and welcome you into it if you put your life into his hands. Your suffering does matter to Jesus. And he will end suffering one day. but he has good reasons for not yet bringing the kingdom in fully and finally. See, he wants his harvest on that last day to be as abundant as possible. And so he gives this period of opportunity in which we live, where rebels can become subjects in his kingdom before he defeats evil. So the kingdom will come at the end. So let's press on with following Jesus now. Let's trust that he knows what he's doing. Let's believe that his time scale is better, wiser, and more beautiful than ours would ever be. We may wish our circumstances were different, but that is not ours to decide. In the words of Gandalf, the wizard from Lord of the Rings, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Wise words. So let's keep on putting one foot in front of the other, taking each day as a Christian as it comes, being faithful to King Jesus, whatever comes our way. Now, I know that doesn't sound very exciting or impressive, but it is what pleases Jesus. Jesus loves the ordinary, unspectacular, faithful plodding on of his subjects as they seek to know him, love him and live for him. And friends, to, to help us press on and see the quest through to the end, let us remember the wonderful future we're promised here when the kingdom comes. Here is something that is worth fighting for and hanging on to, 
Jesus promises the kingdom will come, oh, the world will be transformed. And we ourselves will be transformed. Did you spot that? Jesus promises that those who trust him will, in his words, shine like you of their father. Wow. What a promise that one day we will be radiant. We will be splendid. We will be renewed. Here's a transformation even better than the best transformation challenge on the great British sewing bee you could imagine. We will sin no more. We'll forever relate to our God as a loving, generous, good father. But that is still to come. So let's be realistic about what life in the kingdom is like. Until that day, weeds and wheat grow together. It's realistic to not expect that there'll be joys and sorrows along the way as we serve Jesus. It's realistic that we'll be known and loved by him, while yet misunderstood by everyone around us. It's realistic that we will love Jesus and be convinced that he is everything. And many around us will think we're mad and will laugh at us. They'll take the gifts of the creation and they'll forget about the creator himself. Friends, we need realistic expectations. And here is a first lesson for us this afternoon to help us have that. The kingdom will triumph at the end. The kingdom will triumph at the end. We're going to have just a two or three minute opportunity just for some uh, reflection on that now. Um, maybe you're sitting next to someone. Uh, you might be in a room on your own. Either way, uh, you can reflect. I'd just like to think just for two minutes before I call us back uh, about this question. How does this parable help you be realistic? How does this parable help you be realistic today? Just take two minutes, turn to the person next to you if you're in a room with someone else. How does this parable help you be realistic? If you're on your own, have a think about that. If you want to put up any thoughts or reflections on the chat, you can do, and I'll read them out to everyone else. But just think two minutes, how does this parable help you be realistic today? And I'll call us back in two minutes. So get to it straight away.
Okay, let's uh, come back together. So the first big lesson Jesus has for us this afternoon about life in the kingdom is that the kingdom will triumph at the end. The second lesson is much quicker, don't worry. The second lesson Jesus has for us this afternoon is that the kingdom appears small, but it grows and spreads. The kingdom appears small, but it grows and spreads. Because Jesus he wants us to be realistic. He doesn't want us to be pessimistic. And all we've thought about so far might be pessimistic. So Jesus kind of helps us not misunderstand him by these other two parables he gives us. Jesus wants us to be utterly convinced that the kingdom appears small, but it will grow and spread. That's the point of the parables in verses 31 through to 35. Yes, it, it's true that the kingdom of heaven, verse 31, is like a mustard seed. Proverbially, Jesus tells us that the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. Yet, verse 32, when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree so that birds can come and perch in its branches. In other words, Jesus warns us that appearances can be deceptive when it comes to the kingdom. As Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars said many, many years ago, memorably, your eyes deceive you, don't trust them. Indeed, the kingdom starts off small. It often seems unimpressive as we experience it today. Jesus is often overlooked by many people. His kingdom is written off, marginalised, overlooked and invisible to many. But the kingdom grows. Jesus promises it will expand and become in its time a huge tree in which all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds can find a home. You see, the kingdom started small in Jesus' day. It was just him and his 12 followers, and one of them betrayed him and turned away. Everyone else misunderstood Jesus' mission and was uh, suspicious of him. So although the kingdom started small, it has nonetheless spread through all the world to every continent, even to sleepy old Kenilworth. We can look around the screens and see the evidence of the spread of the kingdom this afternoon. See, the kingdom appears small, but it grows. Although it is true that the kingdom of heaven in the next parable is like yeast, kind of minuscule. Um, it will spread, it, it will extend, it will work its way through society and culture in the world. So just like all you lockdown bakers have been putting your yeast at home to work, making pizzas, breads and other savoury treats. So Jesus says that the yeast of the kingdom will work its way through our world. The influence of Jesus' kingdom will be felt in all sorts of different ways, in all sorts of different places, by all sorts of different people. See, the kingdom appears small, but it will spread, often without us realising that is what is happening. 
So friends, that's the second lesson for us this afternoon about life in the kingdom. The kingdom appears small, but it grows and spreads. So friends, be encouraged. Maybe you're like me and you look inside yourself and you're so aware how slow your spiritual progress is. How ongoing the struggle with sin is. Or maybe you look around this church and you feel how fragile we are. How many of your friends, neighbours and family in Kenilworth aren't here today. Or you look around the church in this country and it seems so confused and divided and far from what it should be. So unsure what it believes about anything that it's a bit of a mess. It's easy to look at that reality and go, is this really it? Has the kingdom really come? Why does it look so unimpressive? See, Jesus helps us be realistic with his parables. The kingdom appears small. It often appears insignificant. That was the case with Jesus himself and how he was perceived. And it's exactly the case with his kingdom today too. But the kingdom will grow. It will spread. Jesus promises that. So let us be encouraged. Let's not give way to pessimism and despair, no matter how weak we are. Let's be praying, as Wayne's reminded us from the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. Praying that Jesus will cause his kingdom to grow and spread. He promises it will. So let's pray it, because Jesus loves to answer that prayer. Let's be expectant about what God can do in us and through us in the days in which we live. Let's not be cynical. Let's not be passive. Let's, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's give whatever energy and skills we have for honouring Jesus as our king, speaking of him with courage and creativity and passion, praying that we too can sow the seed of the gospel in the hearts of unbelievers, praying that we can share the truth about Jesus with them, praying that we can open up the Bible and read it with them. Because let's remember the promise that we looked at in the parable of the soils last week. Jesus promises in Mark 13, uh, Matthew 13, uh, verse 23, that the seed which falls on good soil refers to people who hear the word and understand it. And he promises that when that happens, they produce a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. He promises an abundant harvest when the seed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, strikes spiritually open hearts. See, where that happens, growth is guaranteed. Where that happens, the kingdom grows, the kingdom spreads. See, the kingdom appears small, but it will grow, it will spread. Jesus guarantees it. Friends, in the epic Lord of the Rings, Sam and Frodo needed the right expectations to finish their quests, to play their part in the great story that really matters. 
Friends, it's exactly the same today. We need the right expectations if we're to play our part in the great story that really matters, that we're part of, the story of God's kingdom, God's rule, God's work in his world. So let's not be naively optimistic about things. Let's not be negatively pessimistic about things either. Let's be realistic along the lines of what Jesus says here about his kingdom. The kingdom will triumph at the end. The kingdom appears small, but it will grow and it will spread. Friends, we're amazingly privileged to have heard these things today. Jesus says a few verses in these these verses that when he's speaking in parables, he's in verse 35's language, uttering things hidden from the creation of the world. That's a pretty impressive pedigree. What we're reading here is wiser than anything we'll read on Twitter this week. This is the kind of wisdom that I need. This is the kind of wisdom that you need. So friends, let's ask God to give us the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Let's ask God to have ears to hear what he is saying. Let's have the right expectations of life in his kingdom so that we don't give up, we don't turn back, but we keep on going because we know that there is something worth fighting for. The kingdom will triumph at the end. And the kingdom appears small, but it will grow, it will spread. Let's keep going until the end of the age, until the kingdom comes. And we're welcomed home. Let me pray for us that God will help us do these great things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this afternoon. Thank you for what we've been able to consider here. Thank you for how Jesus speaks so wonderfully and powerfully about life in his kingdom. Please help us to know and be moved by the truth that the kingdom will triumph. Help us to make sure we're in that kingdom, ready for the final day. And help us to press on with faithful, unspectacular, obedient discipleship each and every day for the long haul until the kingdom comes in final victory. But please help us to not just be passive and pessimistic. Help us to play our part until then in seeing your kingdom grow and expand and spread through the world. As we have opportunity, help us to share the word, the truth of the gospel, the seed of the good news of Jesus, so that it might take up abundant harvest in people's hearts and lives, that our friends, our neighbours, our family members might too become part of the kingdom and find a home just as we have. Father, please help us with these things, to have right expectations so that we can press on to the end, fulfil the quest that you've given us, and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We pray for Jesus' sake. Oh, man.